you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. Down East Mike, episode 102, news and commentary for Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Our motto here is... Some of this is whimsy, some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. Today is Tuesday, as we noted, and also, did you know that the Downey Smike podcast contains no mean words, just wholesome goodness from Downey's Maine. It's a historical, literary, auditory candy store. Did you hear the bells on the door when you came in? Our podcast today, you know, it's... uh, it's raining out. One of the things they don't tell you about Maine is, you know, they'll say, you'll see headlines like, oh, the comet such and such is going to be overhead, or the aurora borealis will be seen tonight. No, that's not true. The story is, the real story in Maine, is that you've got like a 65% chance that it's going to be cloudy at night. So you're never going to see any of those things up there in the sky other than well you will 40% of the time but most of the time you can't get up to see the meteor shower you're not going to see it you're just going to see clouds but it's raining this morning and sun will be out later today uh let's look at today's episode you look like a fed that's from a main sting op in 1977 electric trains derailed and delayed from 1898 Reckless driving in Waterville in 1898. And then two Maine fishermen talking about fish in the Gulf and Maine in 1972. That's an interesting, that's a little audio clip we're going to, we're going to play for you just for, just for fun. Uh, today we have birthdays for Christine and Berwick. She, it's her 48th birthday, Christine. Uh, she's a big New England Patriots fan. We didn't get much more detail about her. But happy birthday, Christine. Happy 48th. Two more years, you'll be 50, right? And then that's when stuff starts to happen. Nobody escapes their 50s. That's the what the doctors say. Happy birthday to Matthew of Lubeck. He turned 77 today. And he's an engineer for the railroad for many years. He enjoys fishing for mackerel and pollock. Up there in Lubeck. A lot of current up there. We're going to skip there with a little slightly new f- format. Uh, we're going to skip the current headlines. One, because they're, they're pretty grim. Two, you get your sources elsewhere anyway, and you're going to believe what you want to believe. Uh, and, but if it's something significant like a missing jet, we'll talk about it. Uh, they did find that jet pretty quick once they... Once they put out feelers and put it on 800 number and they put the jet on a milk cut and they found it. Uh, let's go back to uh, 1977, September 19th, 1977. Plenty of money and an informer's plug raised the credibility of a police fence. They had a, they had a sting operation in Solon, Maine. How do you convince a crook that you are a crook? The Somerset County Sheriff's Department, which ran a fencing operation in Solon in conjunction with a federal grant to the Penobscot County Sheriff's Department, found that 
ample money and a man on the inside helped legitimize the bluff. Nearly $100,000 in stolen goods, including vehicles, heavy equipment, guns, and drugs, were brought into a small red and white building known as Ron's Junk Shop in the center of Solon Village during the last four weeks. As a result of the operation, five men have been arrested on 23 indictments from a Somerset County grand jury. Booked and bailed, then they gave the names. Uh, there were four, de- uh, four deputy sheriffs from Penobscot County employed as undercover agents, and this is 1977. Employed as undercover agents, they sported long hair, afros, scraggly beards, and mustaches. For some reason, I'm picturing Scooby-Doo there, uh, Shaggy. In addition to demonstrating that they had a lot of money to spend on goods, the agents gained a lot of credibility by using an informer. The informer who had been in jail convinced the thieves that the new fence in Solon was the real thing. But as expected, the thieves were cautious. At one point early in the game, one of the defendants said to one of the agents, You look like one of those federal agents. The deputy jokingly replied that he might be. Oh, he got him there, didn't he? Mechanically, the operation was simple. The burglars would call Ron's junk shop and ask the fence what they would get for a given article. I've got this old cow. What do you think? The agent fence would quote the price and the burglar would generally agree. Day or night, stolen vehicles, guns, and drugs would arrive in solid. How is this different from today? The cover story the agents gave the defendants was that they were moving the goods out of state. In truth, they would immediately remove the articles from Solon to storage facilities in Skowhegan. <laughs> it just gets better and better. The agents would ask the thieves where they stole the goods. So uh, where they stole the goods, so they would not accidentally fence them into the same area. Video and audio tape recorders were wired into the junk shop to record the transactions. A false wall and two-way mirror were installed to hide the electronic surveillance. This is just over the top in this little town. While such surveillance was somewhat limited and solemn because of the press of time, press of time. The same technique was extensively used in VZ. A lieutenant in the Penobscot County Sheriff's Department, who was in charge of the total operation, and worked as an undercover agent in Solon, said the electronic surveillance would enable prosecutors to gain convictions without expensive jury trials. Let's just go right to jail. It also might help in plea bargains. The lieutenant said the operation got more criminal information and operational results from Somerset County in less time than anywhere else. This is a real benchmark operation. At some points, the goods got rather spectacular. The thieves wanted to bring the fence a seaplane, either dismantled or whole. They proposed dragging it down the Kennebec River. The agents had to work tactfully to discourage such a caper. Agents received a front-end loader valued at 42000 which they managed to get back to the owner without blowing their cover. About 24 hours after a $900 portable radio 
was stolen from the Fairfield Police Department, the equipment was in the hands of the police fence. For the most part, the thieves accepted the going underworld price of 10 cents on a dollar. Wasn't that a great story? We're going to go back even further here. September 19th, 1898, were, uh, this is a story out of England, but we tied them all together. Uh, 50 persons were seriously injured in a terrible electric train uh, streetcar accident in Bradford, England. Several persons are dying. An electric streetcar was derailed while descending a hill t here today. 50 persons were seriously injured. Several of them are dying. Oh, electric trains. And then we look at Maine and the electric train. The conductor of a bath car was surprised to hear the stop bell ring just as the car was going up the grade of the first steel bridges below Lewiston on Sunday. The car stopped a foot short of the bridge and an old lady deliberately got up and said, Mister, I'll get out and walk. I ain't lived in this world of trouble and tribulation 70 years to be killed off in a bridge like that. And she got out and walked around the bridge and signaled the car to wait for her on the other side. At that time, you were either getting run over by a train or traveling by train. It was a big deal. In Corinna, the Grange had a very happy time on the occasion of dedication of its new hall on September 1st. The hall, with a seating capacity of 500, was packed full. Hard to believe the Grange was 500 people in it at that time. Here's a story out of a new Auburn, Detective Derenberg. Boy, it sounds like a real policeman's name, doesn't it? Detective Derenberg, who was doing police duty in New Auburn, reports seeing a couple of men prowling about at 3 a.m. on Sunday near the home of Joseph Lafayette. He made an unsuccessful attempt to capture them, chasing them through several New Auburn streets and up Main Street to the Grand Trunk Station. Once he th drew his revolver and fired, one of the men fell but was on his feet again in a minute and off after his running mate. Mr. Derenberg found blood at the point where he saw the man fall, and he reckons that his marksmanship was pretty good. We don't have any ending on that story. And then we saw the uh, the directory in the paper, the city editor's telephone call, uh, number for the city editor was uh, 84-2. That's all you had to dial. And then the journal business office call, was 20-2. That was a day of simple phone numbers. I don't know if that's when you had to ring, you rang the, ran the crank around once or twice or 84 times. And you had a real attendant there that was plugging your phone call through. Patch me through, dear. A short circuit somewhere between Lewiston and Brunswick delayed the Bath and Sabatis electric trains three and a half hours on Monday afternoon. It had not been found at four o'clock. Those were the days you're waiting for your electric train to come through Lewiston and Brunswick. Uh, let's look at, uh, let's see, Lincoln Farmers up in Lincoln, Maine on Saturday, this is 1898, to discuss the availability of establishing a corn canning factory in that town. Sample corn raised from the sea was on exhibition at the hall. Uh, and a committee was appointed to further inquire into the matter and report at an adjourned meeting at Town Hall in two weeks. 
They were going to do some corn canning up in Lincoln around this time. From Callis, there was a story that the Boston shoe store Amdrin and Company was for the fifth time this year burglarized on Friday night at Callis. The thief broke in a show window and he took three pairs of men's shoes. The city marshal has recovered the shoes and expects to capture the young man who committed the depredation. Wow, a depredation. Out of Waterville, Colby Horn was arrested in Waterville on Thursday on a charge of reckless driving and was fined $10 in costs for fast driving and given a sentence of 30 days in jail for drunkenness. He appealed from both cases and will have the case taken to the Superior Court. Isn't that something? He was racing his horse, I would assume. Out of Bath, about 50 Naval Reserves of Bath, who have been on duty on the monitor Wyandotte, arrived home on Saturday afternoon from the League Island Navy Yard where they were discharged. Big Navy doings. Plans are now in the yard of Charles Harrington of of Bath for constructing a steam yacht 60 feet in length with a speed of 20 knots an hour. The craft will have twin screws and is to be built for New York parties. That's a fast boat in 1898. Out of West Bath, Wiley Lamont of Bath and Harry Lamont of West Bath bicycled from Haverhill, Mass., to Lamont's store in West Bath on Tuesday, making the distance in 12 hours. And we looked that up because that seemed like you couldn't do that today in 12 hours because the roads would be, you'd be all over the map. Distance from Bath to Haverhill, Mass., 114 miles driving distance. And they did this 1898 in 12 hours on some rickety old bikes. I bet they were sore. Uh, Let's look at our deep dive story here about Maine sardines. And this again from 1898. The, The magic change affected by a Yankee's patent sauce. The herring taste eradicated. Behold, a French sardine. It's the story of the dexterity of boys and girls at work. and Herring put into boxes from up in Eastport. Nine-tenths of our sardines come from Maine, said a wholesale New York grocer. There are in Eastport alone over 20 places where they manufacture sardines. They had 20 sardine factories. Uh, you could smell... No, never mind. In places where they... Uh, there's a dozen others in Jonesport and 20 in Eastport. The business began in 1876 and was started by some New Yorkers who went to Eastport and at first did... Quite a business in packing small herring in peculiar-looking little wooden kegs in a pickle of spices. These herring were placed on the market as Russian herring, and I can remember when this cheap and fraudulent fish was on the bills of fare of the swell restaurants of New York as the highest-priced relish they served. These enterprising New Yorkers made money fast in their main venture, but they believed There was more still in model in the herring upon French sardines, although some shrewd Yankees had experimented extensively and spent much money in trying to make the venture practical some years before. And it had been found easy to cook the little fish, 
pack them in olive oil and imitation sardine cans, and give them the appearance of genuine imported sardines. But when they came to be eaten, the fraud was palpable. The rich, spicy flavor of the French sardine was not there, but only the unmistakable taste of the native heron. The Yankee could not discover any means by which the heron taste could be eradicated, and the sardine business was pronounced a failure. Our smart New Yorkers, after a few experiments, however, hit upon a mixture of oils and spices for a packing sauce, which made a sardine of a herring in a twinkling, and a gigantic industry has sprung from the simple discovery. Then they talk about it a little more. A herring fishery is a simple thing. Small trees or brush are thrust into a sandy bottom of the sea, arranged in a line running out probably 100 feet or more, and then curving back to the shore again. This is called a trap or a weir, and inside of it a huge net is set. When the tide is going out, the net is raised, and the fish that come up with it are taken out with scoop nets. Sometimes this catch will be so large that the weight of the fish will break the bottom out of the big net, and the great heap of fish will nearly all escape. Then again, the fishermen are able to carry in a bushel bag all the heron that are caught in a haul. Heron, like mackerel, will follow a light on the water, and some fishermen take advantage of this to fish for them in a peculiar way. Two or three fishermen get into a boat. They are provided with torches made of cotton batting, saturated with kerosene. Dark nights are chosen, and the boats are rowed along the shores with a torch in the bow of each boat. It is soon known when a school of heron is reached, for the fish dart frantically after the light wake of light made by the torch and make the water seethe and boil in their rush. The fishermen have short poles, on one end of which is a small scoop net. They dip the heron out of the water with these as fast as the nets can be handled, and so intent are the fish on the light that the net does not disturb them in the least. In this way, boatload after boatload of future sardines are captured in a short time. The way these heron are handled at the factories is a sight well worth going all the way to Maine to see. After being captured, the fish are taken immediately to the factories. They are laid in heaps on long tables. I have heard some of the native fishermen around here talk about their skill in skinning a catfish. If they could see some of the boys and girls who work in the sardine factories clean these heron, they would never mention skinning a catfish again. The fish are cleaned as soon as they come in. I stood and watched a seven-year-old girl go through the operation and timed her. She beheaded and gutted 75 heron every minute for 10 minutes without a miss or a halt, and they told me that there were hundreds more that could do the same thing and keep it up all day. The dexterity is simply marvelous. The head of the fish is cut off and the entrails removed with one stroke of the knife but how it is done, I'm not able to say. Each fish cleaner has a, box at his fish, has a box at his feet, which holds a bushel, and a constant stream of fish is fallen from his hands into that box. Every time it is tilled, the boy or girl has earned 10 cents. Poor seven-year-old girl, what a way to go through life. Anyway, they go on about cleaning the heron and how they had a new sauce for it. Uh, and... Uh, there's a class of main sardines 
however, known as prime, which are preserved in the best cottonseed oil. So I think they were starting to use cottonseed oil. New York is, is the great wholesale center for these Yankee sardines. So no idea of the magnitude of the business may be obtained when I tell you that one factory alone in Lubeck, and there are others that are doing as big a business, made and sold nearly 2 million boxes of sardines last year, to say nothing of sea trout and other brands of transformed heron. The manufacturers or packers made a clear profit of $0.06 a box, and the factory price being about $0.11 a box. These same sardines are retailed every day for $0.40 a box, and you will pay half a dollar for a box if you order sardines at your restaurant in New York. That's from the New York Sun, 1898. Today, I don't think there are any uh, sardine factories on on the coast. I think they're all gone. So different era, that's for sure. Let's look at the uh, the weather forecast for today, the 19th. Showers uh, likely before 8 a.m., then otherwise mostly cloudy with a high near 70. We'll see some breaks of sun. For uh, the high today, be uh, near 70. Yeah. For Wednesday, sunny with a high near 72. Wednesday night, mostly clear. And then we look out ahead right through Friday. We have a sunny stretch of days with a high around 72 degrees. All right, coming up, let's get to that audio portion of the main fisherman talking about conditions in the Gulf in 1972. There's a little bit of a discussion of what they're catching and uh, what they were seeing out there in the water. Just a short clip. And that is the Downey's Mike podcast for today. And for you and your loved ones, I, I hope that this whole day coming ahead is a day full of grace Love and kindness. We'll see you. Well, 10 years ago, I lived up in, uh, in Belfast. That's summer. They got, all, they got all kinds of sharks off the coast. Those yeah. great white sharks, those man eaters. Yeah. Well, I guess there's more tuna this year than there's ever been before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's another thing. Look what I got down there, Billy Island. Uh, 18 to 20 one day. I don't understand the shrimp being up. It's been so far this time of year. See the shrimp up in there. You usually wouldn't get that many above the wall there. Maybe November. Yeah. No, you know, another thing I noticed, they give the, the Blue Jay and they give the uh, Coast Guard gives the weather forecast and the weather report from the Polar Night Ship. And uh, the sea water temperature there one, one week was 65. And last Wednesday when I was, I was 55, dropped 10 degrees in a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it. This, that's probably, they're probably, um, Taking the temperature of the water intake down in the engine room someplace, you know, it's probably maybe 10 feet below the surface, but that's a big change in the water temperature in a week, mm-hmm. 10 degrees. Went down 10 degrees. Yeah, went from 65 to 55 in, 10, in a week. Right. <laughs> I know swimming. I've been swimming. I dove off the boat one day and swam ashore. Boy, it's cold. It's crazy yeah. here. But still, I guess it's warmer than it usually is this time of year. Oh, it is? Yeah, I think so. From, from, uh, from, from the way these, there must be where these tuna and the swordfish is up here, because they don't usually like cold water. No, I don't either. And like you say, the, the shrimp may way up inside of the air. There's a lot of stuff on the sound machine up in the water, and it's awful fine looking. Party, huh? All those hake are right full of those little shrimp about that long. Oh, is that right? You know, I imagine that's what it is, I'm just guessing. You know, I went to the old silly toe twice, uh, 
there wasn't much there, but what was there I cleaned, and uh, I had a little haddock and uh, some dogfish and some hay and some gray salt. And I cleaned some, and they didn't have a thing in their stomachs. They haven't eaten anything. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny they're not eating because uh, there's much little, much little whiting they have, stuff like that. No. But you know, I... I don't get many shrimp this since since I started, but oh my god, I got that old silly toe. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. This last one I got was only what? Uh, what did George here? Two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago was the last one I got. Don't feel sorry for me. Some say I'm sick because I've got fish on my brain. Dolphins at my back. <laughs> 